it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 181. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to answer a great listener question we got recently. We're also going to talk a little bit about a few other things that we had on our mind. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first question, and then Andrew and I will do our little give and take. So here we go. Dear sir, my question has to do with a desire to increase my exposure to a broad range of the top tech stocks through ETFs. My current major ETFs are generally large, mid, small caps, and a generalist and international, all with decent dividends in era of nil returns on cash. However, with a rearrangement of sectors by S&P, it's missing the top mega tech stop growth. So I'm looking at large cap growth ETFs with low costs, but wonder how one chooses which, such as SCHG versus VUG. Versus IU, of which I've seen, all of which I've seemed to miss 20% gains as I've been weighing how to choose the better of the trio or others. The dividend yield seems marginal, but that's okay. These will be investments for my heirs, not money for me. Hope to hear a reply in the podcast at Gordon from Iowa. Andrew, what are your thoughts? I have a ton of thoughts on these. First, let's answer Gordon's question and talk about some of the differences between these ETFs. So just to recap, these ETFs are all growth ETFs. You have SCHG, which is from Schwab, and they call it the Schwab US Large Cap Growth ETF. You have IUSG. This is an iShares Core S&P US Growth ETF. Then you have VUG, which is Vanguard's Growth ETF. Now, I took a look at these. Dave and I were kind of talking back and forth about some of the differences. 
their portfolios look very, very similar. So you have anywhere between 45 to 55% of the ETF itself in the technology space. So I'll take the VUG, which is Vanguard's ETF, as an example. They talk about how they use six growth factors and they took large cap and mid-cap stocks. So you're talking about probably anywhere from 10 billion up, maybe even 20 billion, could be 30 billion in market cap. So they have some of the most popular names we've all heard of. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet, Visa, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Home Depot. What I found interesting was there was no Netflix on there. So I don't know the answer to this. I'm sure it's pretty easy to find out. You wonder if Netflix was in there a year ago, two years ago, and you wonder when you buy something like this, you really have to think about how often are they changing these positions over? Because you know, when you buy, let's say you buy a Vanguard growth ETF and based on this website here, they're talking about how the company updates once a month. So if you were to buy, let's say an S&P 500 ETF, that one would relatively stay the same. It would only change as the index adds or removes companies from the index. With, With something... With an ETF like this, they're saying they're using fundamental factors. And so that means if a company doesn't meet those growth requirements, they're probably going to boot it out of the index. So I think that's something that's just kind of to start as an observation, looking in as somebody who doesn't generally do theme type ETF investing something to consider that I think maybe gets lost on people could be this idea that the portfolio is going to turn over a lot and stocks are going to go in and out. And you might see that happen a lot more than you would think that an index should do, especially because I think a lot of people think of ETFs as like an S&P 500 index or a Dow ETF or something like that, where it's tied to an index that doesn't really change that much from year to year. These looks like they could change monthly or quarterly, and that would just be a feature of the ETF. Yeah, that's a great insight into that uh, that in ETF. And looking at uh, the iShares one, just for an example, uh, some of the things that, that kind of stuck out to me as we were kind of working through, looking at some of these ETFs that, that Gordon was asking us about. For example, the, the iShares one actually has the highest expense ratio of the three. Uh, it also seems to have the largest amount of holdings of the three. And it also appears to be the lowest as far as assets under management. And it also has the lowest returns of the three. Now, I think the highest was the Vanguard one, uh, which it had returned around a little over 37% for the year so far, where Schwab, I think, was around 35 and the iShares is around 29, a little over 29%. So based on the, I guess, yearly returns, the iShares one seems like 
probably the loser of the three, if you will. Although turning down 29.9% is <laughs> still, that's kind of hard to, to think about, but, uh, the expense ratio is, you know, it's fractionally higher than the other two. It's, it's very, very small, but still it is higher. So there, there is that. But one of the things that I think when you're thinking about how these, all these ETFs work, uh, that was a great observation by Andrew that Netflix was not among those companies. And I guess those are kinds of questions that you'd want to ask now. And the reason why I bring that up is because Gordon mentioned that in his question that he feels like he's missing out on some of the tech stocks out there that are not included in the ETFs. And so he's looking at trying to add some of these to his, I guess, mix to see if he can try to capture some of those gains that he, that he might've missed. Now, one thing that you always have to keep in mind with, with any sort of ETF, a lot of them, I guess, I don't know most of them. I now keep in mind what I'm going to say is coming from a tad bit of ignorance because I am not a ETF person. Uh, I have a vague idea and I have more than a vague idea. I have, I have a general idea of how they work and the understanding of, of what their goals are. By and large, ETFs, I think are meant to track another index. Is that correct? Well, there, there's so many different ETFs. So like this, this one is like a multi-factor, so they're going to basically set an algorithm and it's almost like the algorithm's going to pick it. Okay. Or you could have like sector ETFs where they're gotcha. just going to buy airline stocks. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I don't know necessarily that this is ne- always going to, I guess my, I guess my point with all this is I don't feel like this is really going to fix what he's hoping to fix. And I think that's something that we can talk a little bit more about here in a little bit. But one of the things to keep in mind with ETFs is a lot of times, depending on how they're set up, they may or may not get you where you want to go. So that's something to keep in mind. One of the advantages of ETFs is that they can be a little bit of set it, forget it kind of thing where you can just keep buying into them. Now, most people are probably familiar with ETFs based on their 401ks. If they have a 401k at work, they have the opportunity to buy different things in in their 401k and ETFs as well as mutual funds are going to be a, a, a probably a large portion of those choices. And so the different ETFs, as Andrew said, they have sector and they have different ideas and goals that they're going for, which will allow you to just kind of set it and forget it. You just buy a dollar cost average into it like you do with a 401k and you kind of call it a day. So that's really, I guess, the strength and advantage of ETFs. So I guess I, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. And okay. then maybe you can talk about an alternative, maybe more specific to Gordon's question. Okay. I know a great advantage of an ETF is adding exposure to something where you have no circle of competence in. So mm, yeah, Andy Schuler did a great blog post on on our website where he talked about how Cloud computing was something that he wanted to be into that trend and and get exposure into that industry and into that secular growth pattern because it's 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 quite obvious that consumers are using more data, companies are collecting more data, and all that data needs a place to be stored at, and so the cloud stocks a lot of those benefit from that development and so Having an exposure to that is a way to 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 play that theme. 
And so Andy writes how not not being somebody who's just trying to learn about cloud stocks, having an uh, ETF where you can buy that ETF rather than making an investment in a stock that you know nothing about and all you know is that it's a cloud stock. Ha- having the ETF as a as a an option there is a good way to go because it gives you that exposure without opening yourself up to the risk of not knowing what you don't know and picking the loser or losers in an industry and not getting the type of gains that you should if you just bought the broader industry. So that would be an example, whether that's cloud stocks, whether that's airline stocks, or even if you do believe in in various factors like growth investing or value investing, those are ways to get exposure to those as well. But again, you do have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Maybe we should mention how we did this research so people can do it on their own time with their own ETFs that they're looking at. So as an example, to look at the Vanguard ETF I looked at, all I did was I put in the Google VUG and then I added the word holdings. And so it brought me up to the website ETF.com and there were a lot of other good websites on there. And it tells you what stocks are in the ETF and what their weightings are. So as an example with the VUG again, with this Vanguard growth, it's a pretty big difference because they have Apple at 10% of the portfolio, whereas Visa is at 1.86%. Facebook, another kind of big tech growth stock, is only at 3.97%. So you know, less than half of what Apple's at. So you have to know that if you're buying into this particular growth ETF, you're getting a lot of Apple and you're getting a lot of Microsoft. And those are big percentages. And that's going to change based on what the ETF is that you're looking at. So if you're looking at like a cloud ETF or even like a home builders ETF, as an example, there could be particular stocks in there that are so heavily weighted that it's going to move the index And it could move differently than how the sector actually performs in the stock market. So just another factor to keep in mind. And, you know, if you're looking at specifically trying to get exposure in a very specific way, that could be an advantage, but also a disadvantage of looking at an ETF. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. That's great observation, and I'm glad you brought that up. And the ETF.com is exactly the same place that I was looking at the ETF that that I was kind of looking at as well. So it's a great website. It's free, and it's a great place for you to go and kind of get an idea of some of the things that we are talking about. You can see all the different weightings. You can see all the different sectors that are involved in in. the weightings as well. We're talking about growth, but it's not just growth. In this particular one for the iShares, they have a technology sector. They also have consumer cyclicals, healthcare, industrials, financials, and it just kind of goes on and on and on. So it has exposure to different things beyond just the, the top 10 companies that may be listed. You have the ability to see every single company that's listed in the ETF if you so choose. But of course, as you go down the list, as you get to the close to the bottom of the 532 in this particular one, it's going to be minuscule impact on the actual performance of the ETF. But 
this kind of brings me to, I guess, the, the, the thing that I wanted to kind of mention in regards to Gordon's question and maybe a way to help him get around this. One of the, one of the course advantages to, to ETFs is the ability to bundle a whole bunch of companies together to give you an exposure to a particular sector or an area that you're trying to fit into your portfolio. But the other part of that too is you really have no control over what's actually in the ETF. You buy the ETF, somebody else makes all those decisions and you just put the money in and away we go. So if Gordon feels like that he's missing out on something, that if these ETFs, for example, are missing a company or two or five that he feels like are growth that he's missing out of, he has the ability to, in essence, create his own ETF with the advent of no fees for trading that removes that barrier that used to be there of buying companies and and it costing you a lot to buy 10 companies other than the actual investment in a company, there's no other financial outlay. So there's that advantage. The other advantage is, is that you can control the weightings of however you feel they need to be. So for example, if you think that Amazon has a greater growth potential and has, and you want it to have a bigger impact on that portion of your portfolio, there's nothing from stopping you to having a greater weighting in that company. And when we're talking about weighting, what that, what we mean is, is that it has a greater portion of percentage of the particular portfolio. So for example, let's say you have 10 companies and each of them is a hundred percent. You could maybe slot Amazon in at 25% and then accordingly adjust the other ones down to make sure that Amazon has a bigger impact on the return of that particular thing that you're trying to create. And with the other advent of with at least Fidelity and Schwab that I know of for sure that offer these slices where you can buy portions of different companies. In other words, you don't have to buy a whole share. Let's say you don't have $10,000 laying around to start a, to try to create something like this. You could do almost exactly the same thing with the shares of the slices. You can take $500 and you can split it up into 10 different companies by $5, depending on how you want to do it and how you want to weight it. And you can include the companies that you want in there. And then every single month, if you want to add to that that portfolio, you just add to those slices and you build it up that way. So there are there are other ways to go about trying to accomplish the same thing. You can get the ideas so you don't have to go about the, the stress of trying to create your own ETF or worrying about, oh my God, I, how am I going to decide which of these companies to pick? If you like all these companies, but one or two, or there's two or three other ones that you want to add to this list, there's nothing from stopping you from trying the idea that I'm suggesting. And I think it's a, an easy way for him to create the ETF that he really wants and still get the growth that he really wants because he's going to be controlling the weightings as well as the companies that he puts in his ETF. And I just think it's, it's a good idea. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a good idea too. And I think it, it, it really goes down to, I guess, what's your goal and what do you feel comfortable with? So if you feel like you can make a decent judgment call on which companies are really here to stay for a long time, so as an example, you know, he he mentioned in the question 
these stocks are going to be for my heirs. So he kind of implied that he wants something that he's just going to hold and it's going to be these long-term growth stocks and he can just forget about them and have them return a lot of compounded returns for his heirs in in years and decades later. I think if if you're if you're if that's really the the true goal then maybe just buying whatever stocks you believe that to be and holding them would be better than doing an ETF like this because like we mentioned this ETF is constantly filtering stocks in and out but you know on the same token if if you believe that strongly in the growth theme then maybe that is what you want maybe you do want almost like an active manager who's constantly picking the highest growers and and constantly dumping the 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 ones that don't consistently keep that high level of growth maybe that is what you want or maybe you you want something that you kind of buy and 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 never touch so it really d- depends on what you're looking for what what you believe will lead to the most success and understanding that these are the the realities of of ETFs and these are your other options and making a decision based off of that. So it actually leads into what I wanted to talk about as a segment on the podcast already makes for a good little segue if you will. We've we've had several episodes where we've talked about some of the different secular growth trends that are happening right now can seem to happen in the future. And I thought it would be helpful to provide a little more clarity on it or maybe more ideas on how you can incorporate it into your investing. So I actually wanted to flip the table on Dave and ask Dave, when you first started looking at these different secular trends, and maybe you found one or two that you found really, really exciting how did you start to incorporate that into your research, if at all, and, and what did that look like? As a finance nerd, you would assume that I have my money game all together. Well, shocker, I didn't. Until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app, more so than my bank because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things I want to do, is my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product. They release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. 
Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ooh, boy, that's a good question. Um, so yes, I, I did find, I found different, I've, I've been finding different trends among the markets of different things that have excited me and have gotten me interested in different things and for, for a variety of different reasons. Obviously, we've talked a lot about this in the past and I've mentioned this uh, several times that financials are, are an area that I feel like I have a, a certain comfort level. And does it mean I'm perfect and make all the right choices? Not always, but I feel pretty comfortable looking at a bank or an insurance company or an investment company and having a pretty good idea of where I think the company is going and what's going on with them and, and understanding the nature of the business and how they operate and, and where the income and growth is going to come from. And so as somebody who really tries to find value or deals, I'm always kind of looking in, in areas that generally are going to lag the market behind a perfect example is behind the companies that we are just talking about. Some of the, the big growth names that everybody's familiar with the, the Apple, the Microsoft, the Facebooks of the world. So the companies that I look at are more along the lines of, you know, the, I don't know, Ally Bank or Wells Fargo or Schwab or you know, Moody's or any of those kinds of things that kind of play in a different area. But along the lines of, of discovering those, I also discovered the world of real estate. Now, real estate was something that I always had kind of an interest in, but I always, I started looking deeper into REITs in particular and trying to figure out how they tick and what makes them work. And along the lines of learning more about that particular sector, I discovered that generally REITs kind of lag the market uh, return, I guess, and, and not necessarily returns, returns, but when the market went down in March, like it did so badly, generally the REIT sector will kind of lag the return to air quote normal compared to other sectors of the market. And so that's something that really 
kind of caught my eye because sometimes those will be more overlooked and it gives you an opportunity to find things that are more undervalued as the market has gotten more and more heated and it has risen by leaps and bounds over the last six, eight months, it's been harder and harder to find things that are undervalued or have kind of gone unnoticed and have a chance to buy at a good price that'll continue to grow into the future. And so those are things that I've tried to focus on is trying to find different areas that may necessarily not always be in my strong I guess, circle of competence, but are related enough that can give me an opportunity to try to analyze them. Another area that I've been trying to try to find different ideas is looking in things like uh, utilities, uh, particularly electricity, because I feel like with the growth of all the tech stocks, there's going to be an underlying need for more energy. There's going to be, we're going to need more electricity to power all that stuff. And so I've been trying to learn more and more about that that sector, and I just haven't been able to find anything interesting so far. doesn't mean that there's not great companies. There are. There's plenty of them, but just that fit my needs, it's, it's always a challenge. And so those are all the different kinds of things that I look at, and sometimes for me, I try to look at comp- that sectors that may not have been performing well, but have the potential to do well, not only now, but into the future. And that's really where... I feel like the investing art comes into play is trying to capture not only what's happening now, but also kind of anticipating what you think will happen five, 10 years down the road, because that's really where the growth is going to come from. It's not necessarily from the next six months. It's more about what's going to happen 10 years from now, because ideally I would love to buy a company and hold on to it for a long period of time because of several reasons. One, that's really how you can compound your growth over the the long term. And number two, it's a lot easier. <laughs> if you don't have to go out and search for another company, that's just one less you have to search for. So it, it takes that one less, I guess, headache off of your shoulders, if you will. So I guess that's some of my initial thoughts. So Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I have I have several. Curious though, so it sounds like though there may be a secular trend like the electrification for example of cities and that higher usage that that seems it seems to be moving towards that way and it looks like in the next 5 to 10 years that electricity demand will be higher not lower keeping that as a backdrop and kind of looking at stocks in that industry while it's it's favorable for you you're still not throwing caution to the wind or or paying any price just because it's in this secular growth trend that you're looking for does that sound fair oh that's definitely fair yeah no i'm i'm a lot of the same principles and ideas that that i have with anything else that i'm looking for i'm i'm i guess in essence sticking to my guns and just because it's an area i think is going to to be of value at some point right now, I just can't really find anything that fits, you know, checks all the boxes. You know, it doesn't have the, it doesn't, it just doesn't have the right price that I'm looking for. And that's really what it comes down to. There's, there's lots of great companies out there that are doing really well. And there's all different kinds of aspects of the electrification of different things. And there's, 
you know, there's lots of conversation without getting into the politics. There's lots of conversation about the move towards green, you know, green energy and all those kinds of things, which I think is going to happen. Is it going to happen overnight? Nope, it's not. And a lot of that is because I've learned through just digging into things. Like I know Andrew has learned about different things, digging into it. You just discover different things. And there's lots of talk about when some of these things are going to happen, but with the electrification of different things, the tech isn't just isn't there yet. And the desire is there, but the tech isn't there yet. And so until some of those things catch up, it's just, it's not going to happen, but it also, by doing the research now, it gives me a head start on being able to narrow down what I'm looking for, as opposed to just kind of looking at the whole broad range, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And that was kind of what I was getting at because I have a very similar mindset. I'm wanting to be involved in, you know, like the question from earlier, you you do feel like you want to have exposure to different things. But at the same time, you have to remember that a lot of the times the price you pay for an investment makes a, a much bigger difference than what investment you buy. And so that's going to be true whether you're talking about a company or even a company in a trend. And so the timing of when you buy into that trend, because these trends, if we're going to talk about secular growth trends, these are things that happen over a very long time. To Dave's point, how long ago was the electric, the first electric vehicle invented? And how long has it taken from that point to here? And then how, what percentage of cars on the road today are electric? It's not, it was not something where a, a switch was flipped and every car moved over. So while these trends can be very exciting, that's something I'm constantly looking at. So like when, what a big thing that I'm, I'm really following and learning a lot about. And it's frustrating because. A lot of these stocks are so expensive that you you learn about it, you get excited about it, you do a, a simple valuation, and you say, "Wow, this thing is just uh, there's just no way you could justify its growth, even if it grew like Google, you know, and it had twenty percent revenue growth for for four years in a row, still couldn't justify the, uh, a valuation like this." And so you have these 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 constraints, but it's because it's what the rest of Wall Street is doing too, and they're all looking at these trends as well. So you want to keep these in the back of your mind, but you don't want to pay any price for them. And I think that's what's very, very important when it comes to thinking about what the secular trends are, what what things are growing, and how that applies to your portfolio. So I'll give you one last maybe parting example of why the price you pay is important. So I pulled up I've done something like this in the past too with a blog post, but let's let's kind of do a different version. So I pulled up the top 10 S&P 500 components for 1999. Just as a recap, 1999 was right before the dot-com bubble burst. Not saying that we're there today. I'm just saying this is a good illustration. You had Microsoft, GE, Cisco, Walmart, Exxon, Intel, Lucent, IBM, Citigroup, and American Online, which was AOL. Now you hear that name, those names, and and some of those sound really good. Microsoft, that that sounds great. You know, I would love to buy Microsoft in in ninety nine, 
or Cisco or Walmart. But turns out, you know, and Walmart's done great, right? They've they've the the amount of stores they've been able to grow has just been extraordinary. Cisco powered so many routers and and they still continue to do very well. They've done very well for me. I've I bought them back in 2015, I think, and and outperformed the market with them. But if you were to buy each of these, Microsoft, Cisco, Walmart, and you were to buy them at the peaks back in 1999, Microsoft is a special case because that one is is gone pretty much through the roof. But even even being such a unicorn like Microsoft is and growing 17% plus a year in share price over the last, let's say, 5, 10 years, if you were to buy it in 1999 when it was crazy expensive and you were to hold it to today, you'd have about 9% a year on your money on this Microsoft investment. But if you look at Cisco and Walmart and you bought at those peaks, you'd be looking at something like 3% a year, 4% a year, really bad returns when you compare it to the rest of the S&P 500. And some of these other names I think don't even need to be mentioned like GE, Exxon, you know, those those really fell from grace. Intel has been okay, but that one has not performed like it did leading up to 1999. And we know what happened to Citigroup in 2009 and American Online AOL, nobody uses that anymore. So the point I'm trying to make is that a lot these stocks in 1999, they were the top 10 of the S&P 500. They were very, very expensive from a valuation standpoint. But Microsoft not only did it ride a growth trend through the personal computing revolution, it also is riding the cloud trend. And Walmart rode a trend of, you know, we could go on and on with these companies. They were part of great economic and secular growth trends. But even Microsoft, I think that underperforms the overall S&P 500. And it comes down to that price that was paid when you made the investment. So you always have to keep that in mind. You always have to remember it. Yes, research it. Yes, try to find the good companies in there. I've I've been finding them, you know, they might not always be the the sec the exact secular growth trend you want to be a part of, but you can find different ones and you can find them at decent deals, but you have to flip a lot of rocks, you have to be patient and you have to make sure you're going to pick at your price and not play at the price that Wall Street is giving you. So I think when it comes to incorporating secular growth trends in your research, those are some things I would keep in mind when I'm looking at incorporating it and and finding those type of stocks to give my portfolio that kind of exposure. That was awesome. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank Gordon for taking the time to write us his great question, and we hope uh, we answered your question to your satisfaction. And without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. 
Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.